Welcome to Journey Church. It's a privilege to worship God with all of you. Did you have a fantastic spring break? Yeah, did some of you go to some pretty cool places? Yeah, maybe some of you. Yeah, I hear someone. Uh, I went to Billings for two days. I celebrated my birthday on Monday uh, and then had denominational board meetings on Tuesday. Yeah, it's like spring break, like record-breaking spring break for this kid. Just so you know, we're going to worship in response to the word uh, around music and communion and such, as you can probably see in just a little bit, so the band will be back out in a while. We're in the second message of three in a series that we call The Bridge. Last week, if you were here, you'd remember that we talked about Jesus as the bridge across the chasm of sin and how all of us, how all of humanity can take off our hard hats and put them down. We can put down our trowels and we can stop once and for all, the human construction project of trying to span the chasm of sin and get to God because, well, the bridge has been built from God's side to ours through God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, right? The bridge across the chasm of sin. And today we're going to change it up a bit and we're going to talk about the bridge across the chasm of relational conflict, right? And uh, would you be so bold to raise your hand if you have right now in your world some kind of relational conflict that is brewing? Just a quick show of hands. I've got relation. My hand is up, by the way. I have relational conflict brewing. Yeah, lots of hands up out there. This is like right where we're living, isn't it? I am not exempt from relational conflict. It happens in my world with a lot of regularity even. It's just everywhere, right? If you think about it, some of us are in conflict with our kids, right? Lots of us in this room probably have relational strain with our parents, right? Some other member of our family. Some of us in this room doubtless live with a slow burn kind of conflict with our spouse, Right? It is just always there, sort of smoldering underneath everything in your relationship. There is all kinds of relational conflict in the workplace, right? Partners disagree, subordinates, they feel slighted and get mad. Managers are competing for limited resource pools, and so they're having to fight it out, out to get to those resources. Neighbors, right? Neighbors are always in conflict. I don't like where that shrub is on the property line. And so one neighbor goes out and just lops off the shrub and the, you know, makes people mad. Neighbors in conflict. Siblings, buttheads, friends, gossip to other friends about other friends, right? Word gets back, relational conflict, explosion and such. Some of the most brutal relational conflict on the face of the earth exists honestly, in the student sector, as I see it. That's middle, high school, and college students. Cliques form, right? And that clique doesn't interact with that clique because of what happened two years ago or because of what she said about her or what he said about him, right? And so the result ends up being that there are students in all three of those spheres, middle, high school, and college, who wake up every single school day with a sense of dread about the day ahead. Students are sick to their stomach. They have ulcers in middle school. They feign sickness, not to avoid taking tests, but to avoid attending school entirely because of the relational mess and stress and pressure. You know what I'm talking about. And relational conflict also, believe it or not, happens in the church, 
the capital C church, surprise, surprise, right? Just because we're the church doesn't mean that we're exempt from relational strain and stress. Just this week in some of those denominational board meetings I told you about, I spent several hours on a couple of very intense relational conflicts within churches in our region. In one meeting that I sat in on this week, the team around the table literally spent a couple of hours on a very heated relational conflict in one of our churches over in North Dakota. It included, the conflict included former members of the church, people who had left the church. Some of them left years ago. They started sneaking back into, I guess they don't uh, lock many doors of churches over in North Dakota. It's just pretty safe over there. And so these people who had left the church years ago were starting to sneak back into the church building and take things that they had given to the church over the course of about 50 years. People just going and going, I gave this coffee pot and I don't like this church anymore. I'm taking it back. And I gave that painting that it's on the wall. I don't like this church anymore. I don't go here. I'm taking that back. And they're like clearing out the church building. All this stuff just disappearing. So the pastor, sort of under cover of darkness, with his leadership team of the church, they changed the locks on the church. They actually put some locks and, and then had only a few people with keys, right? And that made these people incredibly angry. They don't even go to the church anymore. But they couldn't steal their stuff anymore, and that made them very mad, right? So what did they do? They organized themselves. They gathered up the people, former members of this church, and they organized themselves into a small group. They called themselves the former members of the such and such church, right? And, and they, their first order of business was to fire the pastor. So former members who don't attend the church anymore, they send a letter letting the pastor know that he's been fired. He's like, well, you can't do that. Former members can't just fire the pastor. Their second order of business was to hire an attorney and threaten legal action against this church, relational conflict. The church is not exempt from it. Like You couldn't make that stuff up if you tried to. Can you imagine that? A shadow church government just happening out there, right? And what happens, see, in all those various relational conflict, all those situations, is the bridge, see, that made that relationship possible, it gets washed out The force of the words and the hurt and the anger and the brokenness act like a raging river that washes the bridge which made the relationship possible in the first place, washes it away. Sometimes entirely, sometimes leaving just a shard of what was formerly there, leaving the relationship either way severely damaged. And we end up, relationally speaking, in this place with signs that say, bridge out. And we had to work really hard to find a bridge that was out and take this sign this week. So just be careful when you're driving around out there. We end up, relationally speaking, with bridge out signs. Where there was a relationship, it's now been, I'm kidding about it. We did not steal that sign. Okay? Some of you are like, well, I can't go to a thieving church. We can't have that. Right? I'm kidding. You might want to tell the people last night, because I forgot to clear that up. They think that the sign is stolen. So if you know those folks... We end up avoiding people. We end up thinking ill of people. Lots of us end up with that constant pit in our gut because of the relational stress and the relational strain. So what do you do? What do you do when the bridge of relationship gets washed out by conflict? How do you respond in a godly way? We all think about that, right? 
we all wonder about that stuff. We all wonder, am I doing the right thing when it comes to the aftermath of a relational conflict? But the Bible speaks to us in very plain language about how God thinks things should go around the relational conflicts we encounter in our lives. The summary of which is our big idea for today. It reads like this. The task of the Christ follower, that's we who follow Jesus, The task of the Christ follower is to build bridges that span chasms of relational conflict. That's who we are. That's what we do. We build bridges that span chasms of relational conflict. But in order for us to live out that big idea, there are some things in our thinking, there are some things in our behavior that have to be different than some of the things that we're naturally conditioned toward. The first one is recognizing this, point number one in your outline, is that relational conflict, it's just flat inevitable. Relational conflict is inevitable. It just is. We are people for crying out loud. We are imperfect people who sin, right? That means that we're sometimes or even very often we're abrasive and we're insensitive and we're forgetful and we're focused on our own thing and we're neglectful and on and on and on you could go about the nature of human beings and how we bump into one another in such a way that it creates relational conflict. Sometimes I'll walk into a room where our four children are fighting. Right? We've got a five-year-old, her name is Bailey. We've got twin four-year-old boys, Preston and Dylan. And then we've got Jasmine, sweet Jasmine, two and a half years old. And I'll just walk into a room and I'll just, like, I'll shout. I'll say, why in the world can't you all just get along? And they, ju- they just look at me. Like, what, what, what? And it's a dumb question, really, isn't it? Why can't we all just get along? Well, duh, they're thinking, we're people. We bump into each other. They're four individual people with opinions and feelings and needs. And lots of times, some of the other people in the family, their brothers and sisters, and even sometimes their parents, just stomp all over that stuff, right? That leads to relational conflict. I'd expect our children, I'd expect people to all just get along if, they were just, if we were just robots. But we're not. We're people. They're people. And with people, relational conflict is inevitable, right? If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 15. We're going to land here for a few moments. We're going to flip over to another text in another few moments. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 39. You can follow along on your notes page or on the screens too if you'd like. Relational conflict right here in the book of Acts. Let me read this to you. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. So Paul and Barnabas, they're missionaries, right? They are missionaries, which is like the top of the heap in Christianity. Missionaries. They don't sin, do they? Missionaries are like perfect. So these guys are out. I'm kidding about that, by the way. These guys are out on a missionary journey. They're starting new churches. They're encouraging people in the faith. They plant all these churches. All these new converts come to faith. They get to kind of the end of a loop, and they're like, hey, we should probably cycle back and encourage the believers in their faith backwards the other way now we went this way now we're going to go this way okay and and look the text says barnabas agreed great i think we should do that paul barnabas wanted to take along this dude named john mark but look what happened but paul disagreed and he didn't just disagree the text says he disagreed strongly right now this is paul okay 
Paul wrote most of the New Testament of our Bibles, okay? Super Christian. Not many people more godly than Paul himself. And Barnabas too, super Christian. These guys love Jesus with all their hearts. But look at this. Paul disagreed strongly. Why did he disagree? John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. John Mark weaseled out. He gave up. He threw in the towel. He ran away from the difficulty of this first missionary venture, right? And look what happened. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Whoa. They separated. And I love this. I absolutely love that this is in black and white for us all to see and let wash over us because Paul and Barnabas, they're not just painting a happy face on the conflict deal saying, we love Jesus here, and so we just need to all simmer down and be milk toast weasel puke about our opinions and our values. We should just right now grab hands and start singing kumbaya, and we should close in prayer, and everything will be just fine. Hunky-dory, woo, right? It doesn't work out that way, does it? And this is the Bible, remember, God's word. Paul and Barnabas, remember, these are people. And they're individual people inside of whom God has placed, get that, God has placed certain values, certain opinions, and those values and those opinions have bought and now own real estate inside of their souls, which means that to violate those would be to become disloyal to whom God made them to be. Paul had a certain value system when it comes to who accompanies him on a missionary journey. Deserters are not welcome with Paul on missionary journeys. No, he says. Barnabas has a certain perspective on who accompanies him on missionary journeys. He says, Paul, this is going to be really good for John Mark. He's going to grow through this. He's going to persevere. He's going to be better. Paul says, no way. And it's a whole other sermon for a whole other day about the cool things that happen because they separated, we'll tackle that another day. But those two different value systems came to a clash. Relational conflict right in the book of Acts in the Bible. We see that Paul and Barnabas, because of it, it's so serious, they parted ways. Now, I am of the very strong opinion that they parted ways in a God-honoring way. I do not get the impression that they like stormed off from their conversation. <sighs> Whatever. Like, no, they didn't do that. They did not do that. Mad and mumbling under their breath about each other. See, there's a certain level of inevitability when it comes to relational conflict. If it happened to Paul and Barnabas, super Christians, let's just give them that title, super Christians, it is going to happen to us. But as Christ followers... As people who have been purchased and redeemed and to whom the bridge across the chasm of sin has been extended, watch this, point number two, God has given us the nature of a bridge builder. God has hardwired inside of us the nature of a bridge builder. No kidding. No kidding. Once we cross the bridge of Jesus Christ who spans for us the chasm of sin, once we step into a relationship with God, he gives us the nature of a bridge builder. See, before we step into a relationship with Christ, as we're out on our own, probably living very far from God, chasms, especially relational ones, tended not to bug us very much, right? You'd have a fight with somebody at work and doors slammed, harsh words were spoken, leaving all kinds of unresolved issues on the table. That was just fine 
with you. You simply avoid that person as much as possible and life would go right on. Maybe you'd have it out with your spouse as you're living life far from God and it was the same deal. Slam doors, harsh words, she'd go to bed, he'd sleep on the couch. Like, so what? It's just the way it goes, right? Living with those kind of chasms and divides was not that big a deal before we met Christ. But then... Once you step across the line of faith in Jesus, once you step across the chasm of sin into a relationship with God the Father, once you've joined God's family through what Jesus did on the cross for you, you begin to develop a very distinct distaste for the divides and for the chasms in your life. Relational conflict with people, no matter who it is, bothers you. The harsh words, the hurt feelings, the distrust, the misunderstandings, bridge out signs, the brokenness of relationship begins to actually keep you awake at night. You know what I'm talking about. And that shift, see, is because of the reality that God has rolled up his sleeves on our soul and he is transforming us from the inside out into a bridge builder. When those relational chasms exist, then see, God whispers into our spirit, Brian, just as I extended a bridge to you across the chasm of sin that separated us, so too I make it possible for you to extend a bridge to that person and that person and that person with whom you have relational conflict. Brian, don't wait for that person to call you, the Holy Spirit says to us. You be first. You be first to extend a hand across the relational divide. You be the first to make a call. Why? Because we carry the nature of a bridge builder. It's who we are. It's who God is making us to be. Which really means, that point three, that relational conflicts are opportunities. Relational conflicts, they are just flat opportunities, see. If you've ever backpacked very much, you may have had an experience where you came to a stream where the bridge had been washed out and the water there is deep and it's icy cold and maybe you kind of scour upstream a bit and you find a place where you might be able to cross by leaping from rock to rock but you calculate in the 50 plus pounds on your back and you think about jumping from rock to rock, you're like, I'd probably fall into the water and such. And if you're with a group of people, There will usually be a few perspectives that emerge about just what should be done in that instance. One person might see that stream as a very dangerous obstacle, afraid that someone from the group could fall in and be swept away and drown and such. That person just wants to turn back, just give up and go home, bag the whole trip because the bridge is out, let's just go home. Maybe another in the group sees the stream as a chance to show off how manly he is. That guy just very simply wants to wade the river, even if that is an incredibly dangerous proposition, even if it means that everyone will be soaking wet and very cold for several hours. But then there's usually a couple of people in a group like that who see the stream as just rather an interesting challenge or an opportunity, right? So they set about to studying the rocks in the middle of that raging stream, They determine where they will need additional footing. And then those two, they traipse off into the woods together. They return a short time later with a fallen tree. They lay it across the longest gap between the rocks. And that one action 
spawns a whole new outlook, especially for Mr. I just want to turn around and go home and Mr. I just want to wave the stream to prove how macho I am. The group suddenly then begins to work together, see. And pretty quick, the group has one person on the other side of that stream. A couple of guys stand on the rocks out in the middle of the stream. They pass packs to the other side. One by one, they jump from rock to rock, gingerly traipsing across the log they dragged out into the stream. And before long, everyone in the group is on the far bank, on the trail they're supposed to be on, dry and freshly exhilarated by their accomplishment. And see, that scenario right there is a lot how different people view relational conflict. To some, relational conflict is a hazard to be avoided at all costs because of the enormous threat that it carries to sweep them off their feet, leave them crushed and hurting and bruised and damaged. They run. They flee. To others, relational conflict is just another of many obstacles in life that are to be conquered quickly and firmly, no matter the consequences, no matter the fallout. But it would appear from the scriptures that relational conflict is really, at its foundation, just another opportunity to, first of all, glorify God. Relational conflict is an opportunity to actually glorify God, see. Relational conflict presents an enormous stage on which to showcase who God is, what he is like, and what he is doing right here on planet Earth in the midst of often brutal relational conflict. And it's through our dependence on God, it's through our dependence upon his grace that we actually point other people toward God's love, toward God's mercy, toward God's forgiveness, toward God's strength, toward God's wisdom in the midst of relational conflict because all of that stuff is available to us only through Jesus Christ in the midst of the relational upheaval of life. Relational conflict is an incredible opportunity for God to be glorified and praised and more known and more famous and bigger on the screen of your life than he is right now. Relational conflict also gives us an opportunity to, believe it or not, serve others. Relational conflict gives us an opportunity to serve others. Now that sounds crazy, right? serve others through relational conflict isn't relational conflict and resolution and such just about me feeling better about myself and fixing the divides that separate me from other people no that is not all it is about our relational conflict with another person might just be the tool that god uses to help even our opponent in that instance arrive at a better solution than that person would have come up with on their own And because of reconciliation and because of resolution, a great solution, not for you, but for the other person, the person who might just be your opponent, bubbles up and emerges, right? Often, through conflict resolution, God will actually allow us to serve other people by, watch this, carrying their burden, You might have the opportunity through relational conflict and its resolution to carry someone else's burden, to actually enter into their pain, their difficulty, their hardship, which interestingly might just be what's at the root of the conflict in the first place. 
Relational conflict is an incredible opportunity for us to serve other people, not ourselves, but to serve other people. Relational conflict also gives us an opportunity to expose sin in our lives, right? To expose sin. Buckle in, right? Buckle in because our sin is going to bubble up. When my wife Dana and I, when we have relational conflict, and we do, we, we just do. We're human beings and we butt up against each other. When we have relational conflict, that conflict has a profound revealing effect on the sin in Dana's life. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. The sin in my life, actually. God uses that conflict to expose my sinful attitudes my sinful habits, to break down the appearances that I carry that reveal my stubborn pride, my bitterness, my unforgiveness, my harsh and my critical words to her. And in and through that relational conflict, it presses us in such a way that our sin, it's brought right to the surface. It cannot be ignored because it is right on the surface. And it's when it's on the surface that we have the opportunity to confront our sin, to own it, to ask for God's help in overcoming it so that that stuff doesn't happen again. Relational conflict exposes sin in our lives. And really, at the end of the day, relational conflict gives us an opportunity to grow more like Christ. That's what this is all about, to grow more like Christ. And becoming like Jesus, see, is much more than merely recognizing our sin and cleaning it up with God, right? To grow to be like Jesus, we must actually act like he acts. That means we draw on his grace and his power and we develop all kinds of new attitudes and new habits and new skills, It's just like what an athlete does in training. They're developing their muscles, they're developing their skills through strenuous training. Relational conflict provides just that environment. It strengthens and refines our character to be more like Jesus. Charles Swindoll says it this way, if you listen to the voices around you, in the midst of relational conflict. You will search for a substitute. You will search for an escape route. You'll run and hide. And when you do, you'll miss the fact that each and every one of these relational conflicts is a God-appointed instructor ready to stretch you, ready to challenge you as you deepen your relationship with him. He goes on, growth and wisdom await you at the solution of each relational conflict in our lives. The pain and the mess, not at all withstanding. Relational conflict provides an incredible opportunity for us to grow more like Christ because at the end of the day, point four, and this is where we're gonna land today. At the end of the day, the primary mission of Christ followers is the mission, the ministry of reconciliation. Get that. The primary mission of Christ followers is the mission of reconciliation. That means that the entire trajectory of our lives is to be on a course of reconciliation. What in the world is reconciliation? It's a big word, right? The dictionary defines it this way. The ending of conflict. Pretty simple. Or the renewing of a friendly relationship between disputing people or disputing groups. The ending of conflict 
or the renewing of a friendly relationship between disputing people or groups. That, Christians, is our mission. The mission, the ministry of reconciliation. We who follow Jesus, we are to be reconcilers to our core. We are to make it our life's mission to be about the ending of conflict, the renewing of friendly relationship between disputing people or groups. Anytime there's a conflict anywhere in the world, Christians ought to be the first on the scene working to be agents of reconciliation between disputing parties, disputing factions. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way. If you've got a text, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 5.18. Just a few books over from Acts. 2 Corinthians 5.18 reads like this. And all of this is a gift from God. I'll unpack that in just a moment. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What's the gift from God that Paul speaks of when he says all of this? Paul has spent the previous, if you read up in chapter 5, you'll see that Paul has spent the previous verses in chapter 5 unpacking that truth that we talked about last weekend, if you were here, about God coming our way. How God knew that the whole human construction effort would never be able to span the chasm of separation which our sin had created. So he took the task of bridge building, he took the task of spanning that chasm upon himself. God reconciled us to himself when he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin and then be raised, which is what we'll celebrate next weekend. That's what Easter is all about. And so see, it is through Christ that reconciliation with God is possible. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Reconciliation with God is possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, and then note the next part of the verse. This gets to our mission. And God has given us, Christ followers, this task of reconciling people to him. That's Paul very directly telling us that we who follow Jesus, it is our task to implement reconciliation in the world. We are actually God's instruments in bringing God's reconciliation to fruition. That's our call. And at one level here, the reconciliation that Paul writes of, it's referencing a relationship with God, right? We who follow Jesus are God's instruments in helping people find their way to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, helping people be right with God. That's called evangelism. That's what we do as Christ followers. You are part of an evangelical church. That's what we do. We help people be reconciled with God. That's just part of who we are. But see, then there's another level to this. As God's instruments and agents of reconciliation, if we ever, and I mean ever, hope to have any traction to help people toward reconciliation with God, we must live our lives in such a way that we make every attempt to reconcile relational conflict that comes up in our own lives. It is incredibly inconsistent for us to try to be ambassadors of reconciliation with God, to be telling people that they can be made right with God through Jesus Christ, while at the same time, our personal relational world is a string of broken relationships, bridge out signs, avoiding people, broken marriages, on and on and on it goes. It is incredibly inconsistent. 
all because we've not done the hard work of reconciling relationships with people whom we have had relational conflict with. Those two things do not go together. You cannot be an agent of reconciliation and leave a string of broken relationships in your past. They do not work together. So what do you do when bridges of relationship get washed out through relational conflict? When you have bridge out signs? When your marriage is in trouble? When you have conflict in the workplace? When next Sunday's Easter dinner is going to be brutal because you're going to sit around the table with family members who have been talking about you and you've been talking about them behind each other's backs and, and there you are. What do you do? It's a really simple, really simple answer. We go and we make it as right as it can possibly be made. The scripture says make every effort to live at peace with all people. Make every single effort. So we go and we make it as right as it can be made because we are ambassadors of reconciliation to the world. It does not mean that you are going to be immediate best friends with that person but you make it as right as it can be right now. And it might take some time, it might take some distance to get to that place where the friendship is what it was, the relationship is what it was, but you make it as right as it can be made right now. That means that we're living lives entirely that are marked by reconciliation. Marked by reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ and with the people with whom we have had relational conflict. I want to challenge you right now, in this moment, to think long and hard about the bridge out signs that exist in your life today. Who are the people in your world? Who is the person in your world with whom you have unresolved relational conflict right now as you sit in this chair today? And then determine, like drive a stake deep into the ground determine once and for all that you are going to move toward reconciliation with those people, with that person, with that group, whatever, whoever it might be. And some of you are sitting there right now going, oh my gosh. This conflict has been 25 years in the making. You don't understand the tangled web that's under there. And I know it takes a whole bunch of courage to reach across those chasms of relational conflict. It takes a whole lot of courage to reach past those bridge out signs and extend a hand when somebody has wronged you in the way that they have wronged you, when there is hurt and animosity and bitterness and everything else that's loaded up in relational conflict. The courage it takes to make the phone call, to write the note, to set up the meeting. The courage it takes to say, all right, Let's try to get this back together. Let's try to bridge this chasm and see if we can somehow come together on this. It takes tremendous courage, I know. Way, way beyond what we have on our own. But see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not alone in this mission of reconciliation, in the ministry of bridge building. You are not alone. We have all been empowered with the power that comes only from God himself to help us reach out a hand, reach across those chasms of relational conflict and get started and say, all right, I'm gonna go first. All right, I'm gonna just put it out there. 
It's been a long time coming, a long time in the making. It is a royal mess. These eggs are way scrambled up. And yeah, we're not going to unscramble them overnight, right? But we're going to press into it one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. You with me? You with me? I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to just take your stuff and set it aside. And I just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And would you just speak to God about what's on your heart and your mind? Just tell God what it is that you're thinking about. You can do that now. bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments and I'm going to put it to you as directly as I know how who do you need to work at spanning the chasm of relational divide with who do you need to be the first to extend a hand to across some chasm of separation relationally who do you need to be in contact with to move toward a place of reconciliation to own your mission as a Christ follower to be an agent and ambassador of reconciliation I just want to invite you today I want to encourage you today I want to extol you today to stop delaying stop talking to other people about those people or that person and start talking to God about that person Start talking to God about that relationship. And then I want to nudge you as strongly as I know how to do that today, like when you leave this room and you go out and you get into your car, that you would pick up your phone, make the call. Maybe you got to wait until you get home because you don't have their number, but make the call. Walk through the door of your house as an agent of reconciliation, an ambassador of reconciliation, and make the call. Be the first one. Begin the process of taking those bridge out signs, taking them down, throwing them away. Stop delaying. It's been way too long. Way too long. today you know that the primary relational chasm in your life exists between you and God and that's very simply because you have yet to take Jesus up on his offer of salvation to you you have yet to step across the bridge that Jesus provided through his death on the cross for our sin you have yet to be reconciled to God I want you to know that today, once and for all, you can settle that. You can do that by acknowledging that Jesus loves you immeasurably. 
that he died on the cross to be your redeemer and your savior, the rescuer of your soul. You can in this moment put your faith and trust in him as your savior by the blood that he shed on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin. And if that's you, if you're choosing to bridge that relational chasm between you and God today, I'd invite you just to express that to God by praying along with me this prayer right where you're sitting. You can pray this way. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that it is my sin that separated me from you. God, I'm tired of living with that separation between us. I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and to please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend. God, I need you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up, please. And God, starting today, I make you the boss of my life. You know, if you prayed that prayer just then, to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is the biggest deal of your whole life. The chasm of sin that once separated you from God has been bridged. It isn't there anymore. It does not exist. And that's the biggest deal ever to humanity. And around here is such a big deal that we actually ask people to tell us when they made that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now if you would. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around the room but me prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, I stepped across the chasm that once existed between God and I. I did that through Jesus Christ. You can do that now. Just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me if you would. Make sure I catch your eye. reconciled with you and you know, live in that place and not tell everybody else about that. We want to be your agents of reconciliation, your ambassadors of reconciliation, God. So would you help us as a community called Journey Church to be people who clean up our relational conflict, that that would be a mark of this community 
journey called journey. That when there's conflict, that we would reconcile it, that it would be restored, that we would go the extra second, third, fourth mile to get it resolved, to move toward a place of original relationship. And I ask that you would cause the relational chasms that exist to bother us. That we wouldn't just be able to close our eyes and go to sleep at night carrying relational conflict, but God, that it would actually bug us to the core of our being. Yeah, I gotta get that taken care of with that person, with those people. And then God, would you please empower us as your agents, as your ambassadors of reconciliation to people who are far from you. That we would point people toward you, toward your reconciliation, your ultimate reconciliation, God. That that would be another marker of this community called Journey. Give us courage, God. We need it. Give us boldness. We need it. You're our rock and our hope foundation, God, and we rest in you. Sacrifice on the cross for us to remember and thank him for the price that he paid to redeem us. The price he paid to span that chasm of sin that kept us from God. 